Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not know God does not know love because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Elena. You guys have a seat. Oh, my goodness. Well, I did not get a degree from any technical college, so I could possibly need some help. Okay, we've got it. We're good. We're good. So Elena, Elena read that our love is made complete uh, when we love one another. And I think uh, that's, that is the topic for the day, um, how our love is made complete. I know that's something that you guys would love to have and something I would love to have too is for my love to be made complete. Let me tell you something as we enter the Christmas season that I don't love. Let's just talk about it. Glitter. I mean, seriously, glitter, that's the spawn of Satan, right? There's no reason for glitter to really exist. And in the Christmas season, my wife's a first grade teacher, so I'm kind of like used to a certain level of glitter at the house. What I'm not used to is the Christmas glitter, right? It's on everything. It's on the ribbons. It's on the wreaths. It's on the, you name something, ornaments. It's on the ornaments. It's on, it's on everything. And, uh, and it just gets everywhere, right? It just, it's everywhere, there may be some on me now. You know, you see a little sparkle on somebody's face. You're like, oh, they probably had an ornament. I don't know. This morning, I was having my, my cup of coffee. And right in the cup, <laughs> right? The, the little piece of glitter taunting me. Little gold piece of glitter taunting me. And so, you know how you do, right? You stick your finger in there. You try to get the, the glitter out. And it, it dashes away from you, right? <laughs> you, you, do, you know what I'm talking about, right? And the coffee's hot. That's a whole other thing. So, it's like, oh, Never got it. So I got that to look forward to later. Uh, that's all. So thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that we have, uh, we get to talk about love today. Um, and I know you want to experience perfect, complete love. I would like to experience perfect and complete love. And I would love to be able to show that love to other people as well. So last week was the first Sunday of Advent, and Kurt shared with us um, the Advent of hope. And we saw that we have hope in Christ. Christ came into this earth, and it gives us hope for a preferred future. We know what it could look like if we are believers in Christ. And today, this second Sunday in Advent, we're going to discuss love. So what's love got to do, got to do with it, right? I was hoping you guys would sing along. There, somebody... <laughs> So just remember, here's, here's the story about Advent. If you, if you didn't grow up in like a, a, um, a high church denomination, uh, Methodist, Episcopalian, Anglican, even Catholic, maybe you, maybe you don't understand Advent fully. Uh, I kind of grew up around the Baptist church, and we had an Advent wreath, but I didn't really know what it meant. You know, it was just a wreath that we lit candles on. So let me remind you that Advent simply means arrival. And there are two parts to the way we celebrate the Advent season. Yeah, the, the season of patiently waiting for the arrival of Jesus, anticipating Jesus coming to this earth. And so that there's, there's two ways in which we do it, an Old Testament way and a New Testament way. 
So first we put ourselves in place of an Old Testament believer, like the, the Jewish people. And we remember the prophets teaching and telling us about the advent, the coming Messiah that would arrive and save us, would, would rescue us from, from exile and show us real love, maybe even taking away our sins. And we read the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and Micah. And it's, it's Isaiah that says in this famous Christmas passage for us, it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we shall call him Emmanuel. But if you're an Old Testament believer, that scripture is written, that prophecy is given, and then we wait and we wait and a generation dies off and we hear the stories again and we wait and we wait and we get, we're in exile and we wait and we wait and we have to be thinking, when, when is this God going to be with us? When is he going to rescue us? And we remember that the writer now in the New Testament, uh, the book of Hebrews he says that, or he or she, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but he or she says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That's Jesus. So then we read the New Testament accounts, like the gospels, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's in Matthew, it's he who claims that the Isaiah prophecy has come to pass when he writes, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord God had said through the prophet Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they shall call him Emmanuel. And Matthew tells us what that word means. God with us. So the first focus for us today, it, the first focus of Advent is putting ourselves in place of the Old Testament believers and us during this season of Advent anxiously awaiting, like remember that we need a savior. We needed someone to come rescue us. We needed God to be with us. And that's part one of Advent. The second part, the second focus of Advent is to celebrate that God is indeed with us now through Christ Jesus. And that celebration begins on Christmas Day. So Advent is like four weeks of leading up to and anticipation of Christmas Day when Emmanuel is here with us. God is with us through Christ Jesus. And Christ now can reside in us through his spirit in those who believe. So in the Old Testament, the way to reconciliation, the way to redemption and true love from God, it was mediated by a priest in a temple with a sacrificial lamb. But now through the advent of Christ, God spoke to us through his son and Jesus became the greatest high priest. He became greater than any temple and he became the perfect and final sacrificial lamb. And now if you have faith in Jesus, the son of God, then he is with you. The abundant love of God has been made manifest and real in you through Christ Jesus. From a poor, wretched sinner that we, we sang about a, mo a moment ago to a fully adopted child of the king. Tell me what greater love has any man shown. That is love. And now we look forward to the second advent. The second advent, the time when Christ will arrive again. This is the second part of how we think about advent. Christ is going to come again. There'll be a second advent, a second coming. And he's going to judge mankind. He's going to finally reconcile this place, giving us the new heavens and the new earth. 
where there'll be no more tears, no more anxiety, no more disease, no more death, and a newfound eternal bliss basking in his goodness. So what's love got to do, got to do with it? Everything. It's got everything to do with it. So we'll start, oh, I already started. Uh, so this morning I'm going to go through a couple of little science things, and then we're going to get to the scripture. The scripture's at the end, so when I say, let's look at the scripture, don't think, oh my goodness, he's just getting started. That'll be at the end. So let's see how science answers the question of what love has to do with it, and then we're going to see how the scripture answers the question. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, it's going to be 1 John 4, and 1 John's almost at the very back of the Bible. So don't, don't stop in the gospel of John. Go all the way to the end and get to 1 John 4. Bible's under your seats if you'd like to use one of those. So some interesting facts about love, the science of love even. Um, Helen Fisher was a sociologist and a, um, an expert on the science of love. And she, in 2005, almost 20 years ago, she did this study uh, where she would take an MRI, an fMRI, I think that's a functional MRI, something like that. She would take pictures of the brain and the activity of the brain when she would hold up different photographs of people in that person's life, okay? So if you're one of the subjects, they would hold up a picture of your, I mean, an individual in your family, someone that you love. They would show uh, an acquaintance, somebody you work with, somebody you saw at the grocery store, somebody cut your hair or whatever. And then they would show pictures of your, um, your spouse or your boyfriend, girlfriend, or your romantic partner. And what happens in the brain scan is the people that you're acquaintances with, your brain just does a little bit of work. Just kind of dances around a little bit, that's all. When it sees your family, it lights up in a different kind of way than acquaintances, right? This is brain stuff. I, don't, I can't explain it to you, but it's, it's a great Harvard study. I could send you the link. But when, but when you see a picture of someone you're romantically involved with, someone you love to that kind of degree, that intimate kind of love, your brain goes nutso, right? It's flashing all over the place. Uh, it, it, it brings back, um, it, it creates hormones and other brain stuff um, th that, that attaches to some of the oldest parts of our brain, some of that almost animalistic fight or flight type stuff. And so what she learned from this is that romantic love, or at least someone that we are just infatuated with, something happens different in our brain. And now... You're, you're certainly aware of this in the way that you've experienced love, I'm sure. When you're falling in love, when you're falling in love with someone, so some of you guys think a long time ago when you fell in love, when you're romantically attracted to someone and your brain starts going crazy, your brain actually, that person actually occupies space in your brain. And, and you know this to be true. You don't need a Harvard expert to tell you this. You think about them when they're not there. Right? This is like one of the things when you're in love with someone, when you're falling in love, particularly these hormones are the strongest and they're most active. And you think about them when they're not there. You'll, you'll reminisce about the times when you just were with them or times in the past that you had conversations or, or encounters with them. You'll begin to anticipate the next time you'll see them. You start thinking about them in that kind of way. And so this love of yours just occupies all this brain space. And you guys know, just as well as I do, there's also physical things that happen to us when we're falling in love. And this is the sweaty palms and the, the eyes dilate and the heart starts to race and you get flushing cheeks and your breathing might change a little bit. 
because our mind, our body respond to that kind of love differently than any other feeling or emotion. So love is like, there's a science to it that makes us a little crazy about that person. And you all know what that's like. I assume a lot of you do. Here's the thing too. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, love is blind? That's science, right? The, the more you get infatuated with someone, the more you love that person, in the falling in love stage, you minimize their weaknesses and you maximize their assets. <laughs> Am I right? Like people will tell you, hey man, that person doesn't have a good job. You're like, yeah, but man, aren't they hot? Smoking hot. You're like, okay, well, that's, that's something. And so here, let me... Let me, let me shift to the, to the next part because science also shows, and you will also probably understand this to be true, these hormones and these brain stuff, these passions and feelings begin to fade, but they don't always go away, but they fade and they show up a lot less in dopamine and oxytocin and they're replaced by hormones that give us security, safety, oneness, consistency, and so if you've been in a long-term relationship with someone that you were infatuated with, man, you guys could not get enough of each other. And now you're like 20 years into it or 40 years into it. And you're like, where did that go? That's normal. That's science. Because now what you have instead, the anxiety of all those early emotions, they subside and it's, and it's replaced with security and unity and consistency, protection, things like that. So this is a good thing. I'm trying to tell you, this is a good thing. There's lots of positive that goes there. It's not that you've just, you know, you've lost that love and feeling. It's not just that. <laughs> but as the passions wane, security grows. And I'm going to posit that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Now, luckily, parenthetical moment here. Luckily, there are ways to revive some of those early passionate feelings through one-to-one -one intimacy. But that's a different talk for a different day. Or if you want to come talk to me afterwards, I can share this Harvard study with you and you can get all the notes you want. But there are ways to, to keep that fire going and burning, just not to the same extent that it was originally because your body doesn't know how to do that anymore. Now, quick aside. As a long-time Christian, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've been in a long-term relationship with Jesus, this might describe kind of your spiritual journey. Like you, you feel like your relationship with the Lord used to be more exciting and vibrant and like, like when you were first saved. And that's just love science. You don't have to chase some emotional experience to bring you back to that first time that you experienced salvation. You don't have to chase those moments. As you've grown in your faith and you hopefully have become more secure in your salvation and in your relationship with Christ. So it's natural for the passion to wane, to fade, not be snuffed out, but it's completely natural for that to happen. It, our brain's designed that way, but it just can't be snuffed out. And so the ways in which we might fan those flames of intimacy with the Lord are things you already know, reading scripture. And to, just so you can know him better, you're constantly learning him and knowing him better. More often in transparent times of prayer, just spending more conversational time, dialogue with the Lord, that will create that intimacy again, create that passion. And just being with other believers in worship, 
Like being here on Sunday mornings or any church that worships the Lord, like to have those moments to sing together and to feel there's something there, to feel that together is good and positive and it helps fan those flames. And so uh, these are just ways that you can feel that passion again. But as Charles Spurgeon once said, to feel God's love is very precious, but to believe it when you do not feel it is the noblest. So love, according to science, is a feeling. Love is a feeling. But love is more than a feeling. Uh I can't go the rest of that. That's high. And so I want to give you a phrase to remember before we jump into scripture. Here's a phrase for today. This whole point of uh, the passage in John that we're going to be looking at is to see that God is love and to see that love perfected, completed in us takes action on our part. Now, God doesn't love us any differently. He doesn't love us any less. He still saved wretched sinners like us. But for that love to be complete, for us to experience it in completeness, means that we have to express it. Now, that's going to sound a little whimsical for a moment, but I promise you I'm going to get to the point of it. So here's the phrase. For love to be perfected, love must be expressed. So... It doesn't rhyme, it, but it's the right words. And so I had to do that. So for love, for love to be perfected, love must be expressed. It, I, just, I just got a chance to preach at a, a Wesley Methodist Church in Covington a couple of weeks ago, right at Thanksgiving. And, uh, and the message was all, it's very similar in that when uh, talking about gratitude, if we don't share, if we don't express our gratitude in words, if we don't say, I'm thankful for you, then it's actually, it actually feels like ingratitude to the other person. And you'll know that to be true if you've ever ex- experienced this. You do something for someone and you expect someone to go, thank you. But if they don't, you feel like, man, what an ingrateful person. Now, if you were to ask that person, hey, are you grateful for so-and-so? They'd go, yeah, I'm grateful. Of course I'm grateful. I don't have to say it. They're like, no, when you don't say it, when you don't express it, the opposite is what's It's what's given. That's what's communicated is the opposite. So to this point today, if you want love to be perfected in you, it must be expressed. It must be communicated. It must be some action word here. It must be something. The old DC Talk song for all the guys who grew up in youth group in like the 90s. Love is a verb. Like that was the song. Love is a verb. And I can't sing that one. I have no idea how that goes. Don't just stand there. Love is a verb, something like that. And so, for love to be perfected, love must be expressed. Here we go. Let's look at First John. Let's see how uh, Scripture, see how John answers this question about love. Let's start at verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In verse 12, and this is the point I've been trying to make so far, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made what? complete 
in us. Some of your translations may say perfected. And that's what we're going for today. Completed, perfected love. And he says, if we love one another, if we love one another, our love is made complete. God's love is made complete. Let's look at now verse 19, verse 17. And this is a famous passage where we, where we see like, what is the character of God? And in verse uh, 16, at the end, it says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. In verse 17, do we have verse 17? Because this is going to be, yeah, I think that's right. Verse 17 says this, this is how love is made complete. That's our question for the day. This is how love is made complete among us, that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. So if you want to have confidence on the day when Christ does his judging, if you want to be confident in your salvation, he says, in this world, we are like Jesus. If you want to have confidence on that day of judgment, if you want to know that your love is complete, it says that we are like Jesus. So we love like Jesus and how did Jesus love? In verse 9, it goes right back to verse 9. Throwing all over the place. Verse 9, it says, this is how God, what did he do? He showed, he expressed, he, gave, he showed his love among us. And what did he do? Another action for him. He sent, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. In verse 10, this is love. What is love? This is love. Not that we loved God. But he loved us, action verb. He loved us. And what did he do again? He sent us his son. And what did the son do? What does that love look like? How do we love like Jesus? He says, the end of verse 10, he sent the son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God sent Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love is sacrificial. Love says, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about what I can give to you. That's loving like Jesus. In order for love to be perfected, to be completed, it was expressed. There was action. God took action by sending his son. His son took action by giving himself up on the cross. And what did he do? He atoned for our sins. He made a way for us to live a life of abundance and live with him forever. But what about right now? What about right now? How can we make this love complete? Verse 21. And he has given us this command. We went from love to a command. Whoa, hey, hang on. He's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Anyone who loves God, if you have experienced this kind of love, if your sins have been atoned for, if you have seen and felt the expression of love from the Father through the Son, and you've put your faith in Him, then the command, not a suggestion, is that we must also love others. And then, how do you know? How do you know if you're doing this? How do I know if my love is being made complete? In chapter 5, verse 2, and this is where we'll end, 5-2 says, 
This is how we will know. I love that. He's anticipating the question. How will we know? This is how we'll know that we love the children of God. How? By loving God and carrying out his commands. By loving God and carrying out his commands. That, guys, is the greatest commandment. That's what Jesus taught us, right? In Matthew, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the greatest, the first and greatest commandment. But the second one's just as good. It's you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We can boil that down to two things. Love God and love your neighbor. Love Jesus, love others. Jesus, others. That's our, that's our command. That's the command to us. What we've been given, if we have faith in Christ, that he truly did do that, that he atoned for our sins, then the command is the greatest commandment, to love Jesus and love others. So real quick, we got a few minutes. I want to ask you, what are ways, and you get to shout these out, what are ways that you can love Jesus, love God? What are ways you can do that? Spend time with them, just like you would a, a person. It's a, Jesus is a person, right? Spending time, prayer, that's like communication, right? Good. What else? Say it louder. Oh, that is the, that's the true test of love, isn't it, is to do what he asks us to do. Scripture is filled with that. What are some others? Ways that we can love God, love Jesus? Serve. Serve. Oh, my goodness. What is it that Jesus did with the, the disciples in the upper room right before he's crucified? He washes their feet. He serves them. What an act of love when you serve someone. One more. What's that? Spread the gospel. If you have received the greatest news in the world and you have love in your heart, what's the greatest gift of love? To share that with somebody else. To share with somebody else. So how do we then love our neighbor? One way, sharing the gospel, telling them the truth. What's a way we can love others? What's that? Pray for them. Yeah, absolutely. Let's tell our Father that we want this person to know them. What else? Serve, serve them. Again, back to serving. Yes, absolutely. That's a, a great way to show someone you love them is by serving them. You're humbling yourself. You're removing the arrogance and the pride in your own life, and you're going, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to show you. Express the love being made complete. What is another way? Forgive Forgive them. Who said that? Get out of here. That's too hard. That's too hard. No, that's advanced level. We'll do that later. No, absolutely. To forgive them. I mean, what, what did Jesus do for us? He forgave us. Like Kurt said earlier, we, we didn't deserve what we've gotten. We deserve the wrath and the judgment of God. And he gave that to us. He spilled it out on his son. He spilled it out on his son and he forgave us our sins. So for us to forgive someone else, man, next level, dude, next level. One more, a way we can share love with others. Give. Give. These are wonderful answers. And so those are just some ideas, some examples that you guys have thought about. Just as we continue through the Advent season, I encourage you, find ways to express your love to God and find ways to express your love to others. 
the whole, you, if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. You have his word. I don't have to give you 27,000 examples of how to do this. You know already what God's calling you to do and the ways in which you can show love to him and show love to others. And so I just want to end with this. There's a priority to the way in which we love. And it's simply this. It's Jesus, others, and yourself. Jesus, others, and yourself. This is the priority love. If you're expressing love to someone, how, let's do it together. What are, what's the priority? It's Jesus, others, and yourself. Just for fun, that's an acronym. What's the first letter of each one? What does it spell? Joy. When we get the priority order right, in that expression of love, first to Jesus, next to others, and then to ourselves, man, we will have joy. Our joy will be complete. Love will be perfected and completed when we take action and express this great love that has been lavished on us. And what better time to do it than during the Christmas season? Amen? Amen. Well, next week, in week three of Advent, guess what we're going to talk about? Joy. Ah, see, that was a big surprise. All right, man. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you that at this time of the year, you force us to slow down through this season of Advent. You force us to be reminded of your goodness, even as we wait patiently for the arrival of Christ the first time and now as we wait patiently for Christ's arrival the second time. And Lord, you've, you've just lavished us with your love. And Father, we want that love to be complete and perfected. And so we want to serve you in that, bringing you our, our first, bringing you first our adoration, our love, our surrender, and then taking that love that you've shown us and given it to others Pray, God, Father, will you give us the ability to forgive? Give us the ability to give. Give us the ability to serve others. We need your help with that. And all through the season, Father, would you remind us of the goodness of your son, Jesus, who came and atoned for our sins. And we will put our trust and our faith in you. Christ Jesus, our Lord, who gives us strength and complete joy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Amen.